I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is a new week, a new guest, new opportunities and challenges for yes. us and our listeners. Uh-huh. And this week we have a new guest that's fascinating. We have Hilmar. Um, now here that's I go. Right. Make sure I pronounce it right. Hilmar von Kampe, the author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie, A Former Hitler Youth Warns America. Yes. And we're going to talk about the topic of the parallels of American and Western society to pre-war Germany. You know what I think is kind of cool is his uh, accent. Yeah, Isn't no. that neat? It, it really adds a lot cool. of international texture. I, I feel very uh, highbrow. But, but very listenable. Yes. Very easy very, to understand. Very highbrow, but still very of the people, you might say. Mm-hmm. It very feels very UN-ish. Yeah. Without oh, the pagan side. Or, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. Without the pagan side, I suppose. It's but he's a brother in the Lord, mm-hmm. and he's had a fascinating journey that the Lord has taken him through. Yeah. And it's just um, amazing to hear his testimony. His book, I highly recommend everybody get it. You can get it at Amazon.com or at his website, uh, com. It's V-O-N-C-A-M-P-E.com, and we'll have that at futureway.com. But the best thing to do right now is to listen to the man. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend everybody stay tuned. Uh, for this segment of our interview for this week with uh, Hilmar von Kampe, right uh, the author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie. Until then, here we go with Hilmar, and we'll be right back to discussing on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Future of the Future Quake Show with Tom Bionic. And we have another new friend of the show here, another fantastic guest this week. Indeed. We have Hilmar von Kampe, the author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie. A former Hitler Youth Warns America, uh, and we're going to talk about his new book and the topic uh, this week of the parallels of American and Western society to pre-war Germany, which is going to provide us a lot of uh, thought-provoking discussion. And uh, uh, Brother Hilmar, I want to welcome you to the Future Quake Show. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Well, it's just an honor to have such a prestigious uh, guest. We yes. we know. Yes, uh, the, the the future uh, family. We had our honeymoon in Germany, in uh, Dre- in Dresden. Yes, uh-huh. and I uh, got to see, uh, got to go to Berlin and several places when we were last there. And um, we're we're both from the south, and uh, German cooking is probably the the next best thing to good southern cooking. Yeah. And, and I know you're a member of the you're a member of the deep south now yourself, aren't you? I do. Yes. Well, I, when, I, when I go over, I always ask for. For German Bratkartoffeln, that is fried potatoes, not the French mm. ones, the German ones. That's mm. right. Well, you've got the next best thing down where you are. It's sort of like our Bavaria, uh, down down where you live in southern <laughs> southern Alabama. What? Ah, southern Alabama. <laughs> well, it's, Alabama, yeah. We are, we, we are about 20, 25 miles from the coast. Right, right. Oh, just very, very much like Bavaria. Just south of I-10. <laughs> 
And we're we're your we're your northern neighbors here, and well, that's southern, southern environment, very similar. Uh, that is uh, Georgia, no? Mm-hmm. Except we don't have the Alps down there. No, you uh, don't. There are some hills, but not yeah. very big mountains. Yeah, in the area of of what we know as L.A. or or Lower Alabama. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, th- I think probably about a hundred uh, feet above sea level is about as tall as it gets down in that in that area throughout Florida. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for your generous offer uh, for appearing on Future Quake. Yeah. Th- th- there's so much material to contemplate in your book, uh, which I just finished reading. I don't get an opportunity to read too many books. I read like an engineer, which means very very slowly, and so I don't get through too many books in the course of a year, even for our show. But I read yours cover to cover. Uh, uh, although we, we're only going to be able to sample some of the various facets that you bring up, and I just want to hardly recommend everyone get the book. And I understand you're affiliated with uh, Brother Tom Horn uh, yes. and Highway Book Publishers, who's uh, one of our favorites of the show. Uh, most of our listeners, uh, if if uh, Brother Tom Horn's uh, anyway associated with a book, it's something they're going to enjoy and like. And I know your book is no different. Um, but but I want to encourage our listeners to uh, not only get your book, but to meditate on the riches of the the insights that you have inside the book. And t- to begin our discussions uh, today, could you very briefly describe your upbringing and your exposure to the uh, Hitler Youth Program in Hitler's Germany that you uh, referred to in the book? Yeah, I was seven years old when the Nazis took over, and I was 20 when the war was out, and that was I was in Yugoslavia in the German army fighting the Soviet army. I was a prisoner of war and escaped and crossed seven borders to get home. My father was what in America is uh, the, uh, the the county, uh, how do you call it, the head of the county? The, uh, the, no. Like a county <laughs> commissioner or county judge? A county commissioner, mm-hmm. which here in the States is uh, determined through election. Whereas in Germany, I don't think it is different now. It is for, uh, they are government servants. They are appointed by the government. Mm-hmm. And my father was a, a, a Landtag, they called it, a supervisor of, um, and he, after he was, um, when the Nazis took over, they created a, a, a parallel uh, structure of party people who had to watch about what the others did. And he was asked to, to join the party. He refused. And then he was fired. But they couldn't fire him entirely. They sent him into a corner of the, of the country. My parents, we were four children, and my parents, their main preoccupation was to save their children from being black, uh, being, um, uh, 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 uh Sometimes I, I like say the the, the yeah, but that we were brainwashed right um, by the Nazis, and uh, but otherwise, my father and my mother they were living with that. But the children, I didn't, I had no idea what was happening, and I was in the Hitler Youth, and here people think that it's a great Nazi deal. It was no Nazi deal, I'd say, at all. It was just the only youth organization that there was, and we had the same fun as any other youth had. The, the brainwashing happened in a different way. Of course, in the school, we had partly Nazi teachers. Also, in the Hitler Youth, they told us a number of things. 
but there was no indoctrination. The brainwashing happened to the media, that the media were the papers, newspapers and radio, that was all, and perhaps the film industry. And um, so what we got was news, uh, uh, propaganda, Nazi propaganda in the form of, of news and the, the, the constant uh, what they tried to get was the patriots, they, they tried to get the German people on the basis of entering in patriotism, in patriot, uh, in patriot, uh, in attitude, and they promised that they would, they would finish the, the discrimination of uh, the Versailles Free Peace Party. So that was the, the way the way it, it, it was. I was asked when I was interviewed by the Holocaust uh, Education and uh, Center in, in Miami. They asked me when I was in the army how many hours in the week we had uh, indoctrination. I said we had none, and that they, they couldn't believe it to me. But until I repeated and explained to him, and that is very important to to find to to realize for today. Because Hitler had uh, the general, the army, in his pocket, and whether we are, we are Nazis or no Nazis, we ought to be followed to orders of our officers, and uh, so therefore there was no gain if they made us Nazis. Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. left us as we were, and we voluntarily had come to the conclusion that this war, when it started in one time, nineteen hundred and uh, 39, and it was the same enemies as in World War One. Right. We said this is not a Nazi war; that is a German war, and we will first win mm. the war, and then we shall de- deal with the Nazis. That was our philosophy. We were we mm. didn't like the Nazis, but I didn't understand mm. the, the details. I, I, I didn't like the people. And you know that's interesting because your book, uh, the first half of the book, in particular really shows the kind of dilemmas that individual citizens had and that families had, trying to protect their children, trying to provide for their family, dealing with things that no one understood. When when we look in hindsight and through the pages of history, it's much easier for us to say, well, this is when someone should have taken a stand or done this or done that. Hopefully we can learn from it. But as you were living it, it was a tremendous dilemma, and in fact, as I understand from your book, even within your extended family, amongst uncles and other relatives, there were major disagreements on how best to respond uh, to what was happening in the country, uh, the leadership of the Nazi party versus other movements in the country. And, and in fact, there was still a deep woundedness from uh, World War One and, and uh, Versailles, uh, and the, the other arrangements that were done, were, which, which actually had involvement of a lot of globalist groups that uh, almost provoked an event uh, in some way. And these wounds predated the Nazi party, in fact, provided an atmosphere for it, if I understand. Uh, I, am I correct in my summarization? Yes. Uh, uh, and what you said about the family, that is very true. My uncles, as you, if you have read it, you know, the one was the very well decorated general, the other was also uh, the colonel, and they went to, they were Nazis, but they were no criminals, they were just dumb, I would say. Right. They uh, they went to war to get revenge for the first, first world, world war, and to to be a part, and, and uh, 
gain the world, conquer the world for 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 the German for the German race. Really, that's what they did. And I went to war to defend my my country. That were completely different motives. Right. But it shows how those who lie to you, the leaders of nations, who lie to to their people because they want to have something done which the people have to do, they lie. And that's what what Hitler did. That he lied to us. And uh, so that's where, where he had us voluntarily go into the wall. Well, and they'll, they'll also co-opt. Evil men will co-opt good things, things like love sure. of co- love of country, uh, pride uh, in your community and your friends, things that are normally very good things, and they'll exploit it for their own purposes yeah. rather than fully disclose the evil uh, agenda that they have. But I find it interesting, uh, based upon some other reading I did recently, about the uh, the Treaty of Versailles, the, the end of the First World War, uh, how globalist groups, this is one of the first treaties that really had globalist groups involved in the terms. The the predecessor of the Council on Foreign Relations in the United States, th- that was their really their foundational uh, achievement was in drafting that agreement, and they took great pride in doing that. And as we know in hindsight, it was a terrible disaster because it really set the stage for a second world war based upon the inequity of the agreement of the oppressive terms that were made and reparations and things like this so so it's an example of what the globalist groups now that are trying to achieve in our world and taking over our our political and economic fronts that what could happen as a result of it i, I want to ask you just quickly again about um the, the hitler youth organization I, I i think you've you've tried to debunk some misunderstandings that people have had about it now now my understanding is that they did try to promote things that were considered uh generally wholesome fruitful uh virtuous uh, aspects of uh, young people's life, like uh, physical fitness, uh, uh, having good, strong personal discipline, uh, being someone who who is sound in mind, body, and spirit. Is that correct? That is correct. So, so these are things that on the on the face would be very, very noble, but they also serve a, another purpose when it's coupled with the the other information provided in the media and through other venues as well. In other words, yes. that it looks good, but it also is, is, is attempting to groom you for someone else's use, correct? Well, that was, the, that is, there the, the left and Hitler was a radical left, not to the right. The Nazis stand for socialists. They know what was the weakness of the system hmm. and how they can get hold of the, of the masses. And that was the, the country, really, the, 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 the country, the nation. And uh, to restore the dignity to to the German people, that was what they promoted, and everybody was in favor of it. My parents not, because they knew the, or they had an idea of what kind of people they were, but the majority of the people uh, um, went for it, mm-hmm. and that that got us into the war. Now, now, if I understand, they they eliminated other youth-type organizations and focused merely on this one. Is that correct? Yeah, well, they, they, there was no other, not one youth organization. The, the trade unions were abolished, and there was one Nazi kind of union, but they were, they were led by the, uh, by the Nazis. Uh, that, that was with all these uh, organizations. That Hitler did it in the first year, mm-hmm. and he was not stopped. And as today, uh, it was then, 
that uh, the church, the churches, the official churches, there were only the Lutherans and the Catholics, the Roman Catholics, and very in some uh, Reformed uh, Christians. There was no others. There was no outcry except for individual pastors and priests, Cardinal Galen, uh, who stood up and, and, and attacked the, the, the persecution of the Jews. And most of them, they didn't do it to the cardinal, they couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But the pastors and Bonhoeffer and others, they were killed. Mm-hmm. <coughs> very, very interesting. Uh, were, were there any types of teaching about your country or anything else that, that had any kind of tinge of political nature to it that was a part of your training in that group, or was it mostly just physical fitness and... and you know, good, sound disciplinary activities for young people. I think this was all. I was, we were in two cities as far as Hitler Youth is concerned. The one was in the, was in North Germany and the other was in Sudetenland, which used to be Austria and then was shifted into the, without being asked the people, into the, as a minority group, into the uh, Czechoslovakian uh, uh, state. And there was uh, the pressure of the Nazis was less than in, in, in big cities and in other parts of Germany. So in that sense, we were very well off uh, where we were. Okay. Mm. Uh, can, you, can you share with us just a little bit about what happened uh, after uh, you joined the Army? You joined the Army at a very young age. Of course, they needed as many people as they could late in the war. You were sent to Yugoslavia to fight as a, as a teenager. Uh, shortly after that, the war ended, and you found yourself in territories, I understand, that was being uh, ceded over to the Soviets. And you found yourself in a situation where you were basically now behind enemy lines uh, after this agreement was done. Can, can you share this, what happened from there? Well, you mean after the, after I was a prisoner of war, or how we got into well, the well, Yeah, I, th- I think uh, uh, once the announcement came out that the war was over, uh, your your group was suddenly stationed in an area that was uh, in in the eastern area, where where it became other jurisdiction of the Soviets, correct? And so, well, you, no, you, the Soviet was the army the, which we fought, but uh, there were the Tito partisans. We called them partisans. Uh, that were the the communists, the Yugoslavian communists, and we were we, the German high command made a treaty with the Soviet High Command that we give over our arms and then we can have free exit to Germany. And we gave our arms, but we had no exit to Germany. We were taken as prisoners by the uh, Tito partisans. Mm -hmm. And they put us into camps, um, and I didn't think after a few months that I would survive the... Mm -hmm. The winter, and I decided to escape. How, how did your um, well? You, you you had an escape event, and that is a fascinating part of the book itself. Uh, that was quite a harrowing jury, journey, wasn't it? Not. I mean, you had quite a distance and a number of uh, national borders you had to cross before you actually were in safety. Correct. Well, we had to cross seven borders, and we were five people who had come to the same conclusion. And the first night, we ran into a patrol. And we lost the number one. We, looked, we went in a file, and, and I, I was number two, and number one had had the, the map. And we ran into a patrol. I never seen 
my friend again, who was in, on the, in the, uh, leading us, and we, by a miracle, really, in the di- night, uh, the darkness of the night, found the other four. We found ourselves in the in the field, mm-hmm. and then we went according to the North Star. We had to cross to Hungary. Thus, where well, we saw one river, but in matter of fact, it were two. And when we, and it was so cold that I decided I will not go swim through. I will give myself up, mm-hmm. even though that was a threat that I was being killed. So when we come to the, came to the water, there was a boat waiting for us underwater. We had a navy man with us, so we lifted this boat up and crossed on the other side, thinking that we are now in Hungary, but we were still in Yugoslavia. We had to cross the main river. This was a sidearm. Two nights later, we came to that river, and believe it or not, there was another boat, this time tied to a tree, and we again crossed the border without any problem, and we were in Hungary. Hungary was where our friends, we went to the first farm, knocked at the door, and they immediately took us in. And for the first time in months, we got something really to eat. Wow. And then we went, uh, we went, continued to go by the, by the North Star, and we, but we divided ourselves in two groups because we couldn't, four men go into houses where no men were there, were all, mostly women, men were either dead or in Soviet prisonership. Right. And in the one, in one day we, we, we were late getting a house. Somebody saw us and we were in this barn. And then the two women who were our hosts came rushing into the, into the barn and said, the, the, the soldiers, soldiers. And we could see them coming down the hill with the dog barking and they came for us. So we ran into across the, uh, the field, which was recently plowed and took cover in among some bushes and some trees. Saw the Soviet soldiers picking up my my hat, my, my cap, I mean, and uh, I had lost all my paper on the on the on the field, which was very easy, and our steps could be seen for a kilometer. And these people turned around and went in the opposite direction. So there was absolutely no explanation. There was no explanation for this, uh, except that the God has his hand in mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And there were several other things like that, including my last crossing I had to cross. The decisive border was, uh, first I had to cross the Hungarian-Austrian border, and then I had to cross the demarcation line between the Soviet army and the British army. And when I reached the other side, after having gone through more miracles, as I said, and I was lying on a hill and looked down to a village where I saw the Austrians and the British soldiers, I realized that I had done what I set out to do, that I was still alive and I was out of the Soviet uh, grip. And I said to myself, thinking of all these miracles, I thought I would begin to wonder whether... Maybe that Lord had uh, taken me out there. Mm-hmm. I, I, we were a Christian family. I mean, namely, our name, we thought we were Christians. And, uh, but I had never prayed and never occurred to me that I would, could die in the war. And now I said, maybe it was God. Mm-hmm. And then I said, if it was God, he must have a purpose for me. And um, that became true four years later. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. 
And that was the first segment of our interview with Hilmar von Kampe, yeah, author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie. Yeah. It's a fascinating story. Yeah. What he lived. Can you imagine? He was just a young man. Just think how old you are. He was. And think about 17 yeah. being in an army. He was 20 years old when the fighting broke out, he said. Uh, and he, you know, regarded rightly or wrongly or whatever at that time regarded it as a fight of, you know, Germany against these other other things. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought he was younger. Nazis. I thought he was younger when he got in the Army. I oh, well, he was I, like I wrote 17. Down, I wrote down that he was 20 when he when the fighting okay. broke out. He was seven years old when he first started getting indoctrinated. Or maybe when it was over. But regardless, 17, 20, whatever, that's pretty young, young. to take over in tanks. He, he was on a special machine. We didn't get into it on the show, but he, he was on special artillery. Hmm. Where he would actually stare down the enemy as they were trying to aim at him, and he'd blow him up. And he was just skilled at that, at Whoa. that age. Yeah. <laughs> and so, now here he is, right at that, you know, around that age, when the mm-hmm. war's over, and suddenly the territory they're at is controlled by the communists, mm-hmm. and he's supposed to throw down his arms, yeah, and he's he supposed to let him go home. Yeah, by the Red Army and, and they, stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah and they, they yeah. treated him really poorly. Yeah. And so he and four other guys snuck out and had seven this. Seven borders. He crossed seven borders. That'd be, and that'd there's be, only one other one that he knows that made it over with him of the five of them that yeah. left. That'd be like that'd be like me and you, and uh, a few other like the CAAA people going from like here to Florida, mm-hmm. you know. At Maybe night. like uh, uh, David Lowe and Peter Goodgame. Yeah, me and you and Lowe and Goodgame. Robert Hyde meeting us in the bushes or something. Yeah, all going to all going to Washington D.C. like overland at night. Yeah. Well, while we ponder that, let's have uh, our friend Merv come in, our secret weapon, to tell everybody how they can get a hold of FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're going to have to leave it at that until our next show. Ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Until tomorrow, our next next, uh, edition with Brother Hilmar von Kampe. Uh, we hope your future is very bright. Have a great day. Guten Abend. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we're back for part two of our interview with Hilmar von Kampe, mm-hmm. the author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie, A Former Hitler Youth Warns America. Yeah. And we're talking about the topic, the parallels of American and Western society to pre-war Germany. Mm-hmm. And I want to remind everybody, his book is for sale at Amazon.com. Again, Defeating the Totalitarian Lie. And yeah. a fascinating book. And uh, yesterday we focused really on his background. Yeah, quite a story. Uh, you know, captured by the Red Army uh, at some point. Mm-hmm. I guess after, at, when the war when the war ended and they finally surrendered, I guess he was supposed to lay down his arms and was allowed free passage back to Germany. The Soviets denied him that, 
so mm-hmm. he had to cross a bunch of borders, you know. He came to some river, and he thought, I'm just going to surrender, and then All there right. was a boat there. Right. He came to another river, there was another boat. Right. You know, it was pretty amazing. Really. The Lord's hand was on him. It, you know, it's interesting. He grew up in a family that was religious, and they had different... It sounded like a typical family, people, different parts of the spectrum of what they saw about politics and religion and stuff. Mm-hmm. But... He, he he harbored some resentment for all the hardships he went through and, and suffering and things, which you could understand. We don't think about what they went through. He didn't cause any of this. Mm-hmm. He and his family didn't start all this. They only had to react to it. But then, as he's recovering, the Lord still had to get him to work through a lot of what he says was his selfishness and things to come to appreciate what the Lord did. And if you get his book, you'll read about some people like a journalist, a British journalist, who said some things about forgiveness and how how to forgive and not hold things against others hmm. that freed him, freed him hmm. to follow Christ. So I just want to encourage all of you all, if you don't know what your witness can do to somebody, totally unexpected, there are examples like that in books like this. Yeah. So I guess with no further ado, we should we should go uh, listen to Brother Hilmar speak, and then we'll be right back to discuss it further on Future Quake. Well, that's what I, I want to talk about that further, because um, the, the the Lord spared you, the fact that he provided you two boats there, much like uh, I thought of the colt that was tied for Jesus when he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It just <laughs> seemed like a similar provision the Lord made for you. Um but but you're, there was still in your book, you go into greater detail about this, a sense of rebellion in your life. You still had a, a selfish spirit, which is common to, to probably most of us. Uh, you, you went through a lot of deprivation at that time, and, and most anyone would be bitter uh, over that. Uh, rather than focusing on the fact that you'd experienced deliverance, you still had a tremendously difficult time. The, 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 the battles weren't over after the war was over. There were tremendous difficulties, and, and you, you explain that a lot. And a lot of Americans don't understand the, uh, the, the tremendous hardships that uh, people in Germany and the surrounding areas went through after the war. But uh, the Lord did something in your life, and I know we don't have time to focus on that in this show, but I want to tell our listeners to get your book. Again, it's called Defeating the Totalitarian Lie, um, that uh, they, they need to get to read in detail. But the Lord worked in your life where you gave your heart over to him and began to serve him through the witness and testimony of others and helped you to come over uh, and to forgive those in your life you needed to forgive. And then you dedicated your life to, to a life of Christian service. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, and what? it was not only for me, but I also thought I could... I could help my country. Uh, and and what, what type of organizations were you involved in? There was one very interesting organization you were involved in. Could you tell us a little bit about that for an extended period of time you were involved with? Yeah, that was that was a, uh, an American pastor, really, Frank Bookman from um, Pennsylvania. There he was also buried. He created what first was called the Oxford Group, and then it was renamed Moral Rearmament. And Moral Rearmament uh, consisted of a, 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 a number of what we called full-timer who worked as a force, as an ideological force with a purpose to restore God to the world as the, the, the leadership. Mm-hmm. And they had, had two headquarters. One was in Mackinac in, in uh, I think in Michigan, up up in the north, and the other one was Co in Switzerland, where they had two two hotels, 
and we had in the summer we had three months of conferences with people from all over the world, and the theme was always re uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, purpose. And uh, I belonged. I, when I finished my studies, I got a degree in economics from the Hamburg University instead to go into a material job, so to speak, where I earned money, I went to the full-time part of moral rearmament. And that was about 15 or 16 years that I was in it without getting any salary, any payment. None of us got any payment. And we were, there wasn't in that sense a hierarchy or an organization. We all worked, we all gave our everything. We worked without, uh, salary or, or anything, well, we live by faith and prayer. Hmm. And uh, so, and I was, after several years in Europe, I went to Latin America, to Brazil, and the Argentine, Chile, that was a, uh, Uruguay, that were the countries where I centered, and also in Brazil, there was another group of full-timers. Yeah, and that we tried our very best, but I, I uh, then, after some Time that wasn't anymore what what I thought it was. Well, we have to say that this force had a major part in uh, reconciliation of France and Germany, especially after the war. Also between black and white South Africa and the rest of Africa, reconciliation between the whites and the the, the, the blacks. And so there was in each country you had the forces which, or the groups of people who hated each other. And I was taught by, and, and, and that, that was where we, uh, was our work was. But then I realized that it became more and more, instead of a, of a force to change the world, a force which kept some rules. And it wasn't anymore what I wanted to do. And so I left and I went into business. So I don't know whether that explanation makes no, anything. Yeah. That, that's when it, you, you devoted your life once the Lord, and it took some time after the war, uh, to bring you to a point, looking through the examples of some other people in your life, and I want to refer people to the book to read this, including a British journalist that I believe showed you examples of true forgiveness that was an inspiration for you to give your life fully in service to the Lord. Uh, and... You've had a number of experiences. You've been an independent businessman. You've had the frustrations of having your own business, uh, the dealings of people letting you down, uh, not only your own government but, but business associates and, and other relationships, other organizations you've been with. But you've persisted in your pursuit of serving your fellow man and had a wonderful family, I believe, as a uh, wonderful Peruvian wife. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I work for, for an... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, uh, international Investment Corporation, mm -hmm. Adela is the name, with headquarters in Lima, and I was three-lingual, German, English, and Spanish. So I got the, I got a good job with payment. I had never in my life got so much money of at once. <laughs> so, and I became and uh, took me very, very many years. Uh, so it's like you come out of uh, of something and get into something else. Mm -hmm. I wasn't used that people cheat you, because among the full timers there was no problem with honesty whatsoever, and you trusted other people. 
And uh, but now that I had some very bad experiences with people trying to 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 well to down you and get right. to see what you have. Yeah, you, you you've experienced uh, challenges from just about every type of uh, group that you interact in in your life, and business associates, your own government, other institutions and groups. So it's given you quite an experience. And like like most people who come from uh, a faraway land and have been through war and have been an international businessman, you now reside in southern Alabama, which <laughs> I'm sure like other international... Are, are saying that people that come through war and make uh, it to uh, international business then become a, move to Alabama? A, a likely endpoint for most international financiers and businessmen is southern yeah. Alabama. So Well, I hear the Rothschilds you know, all there. <laughs> you know that my wife is a big city girl, Lima, we lived in Lima, I yes. think five or six millions. Mexico was uh, the worst. I think they were already over 20, uh, 20 million right. uh, inhabitants. But now in Alabama, if I look through my window, in, uh, uh, I can see there's a hole in, in the, between the, uh, a hole between the trees and bushes. And when I look through the hole, then I can see the cows. <laughs> on the, so, uh, to my wife and myself. But it is a great delight. We like it very much here. Well, Dr. Future can open the window right here. We're sitting right now and see the cows outside the uh, the future oh, really? the future <laughs> residence as well. So uh, the Lord has had a very unique path for you to take in life, and that's why it's very enriching for anyone to read your book to find the very special and unique path he's taken you. And I want to focus a little bit uh, from here on out on the book and, and, and the significance uh, socially, intellectually, uh, of the points that you make in your book. Uh, first of all, h how would you summarize the purpose of your book, and what do you hope to accomplish with it? Well, I think the, the theme of the book is the role of God in human society. And I try to explain that there is a global ideological war going on, and that... Uh, that we are in the middle of an insurrection against God, which means the organized leaving his social order and his commandments, pushing them aside, and instead push in our own human uh, uh, so-called values, they are against the will and the commandments of God like the abortion, for instance, and uh, that the moral battle line in this war is the, the, the field where the war is being led is, is of moral nature, is morality. And the issue is truth or lie. In other words, every person is either on the side of the lie, if he is a liar, like our politicians, or he is on the side of truth, of people who stand up, who live truth, and who stand up for truth. And I see that uh, this is not just a personal affair. I see that our politicians, that means as an American citizen, I speak of the, our American government, and that is consists, as I would say, the... the uh, the government uh, structure, the, uh, the, the government uh, 
people, which includes uh, the the justice, uh, the Congress, the president, and up to the certain uh, way the, the official, so to speak, media. And that we not only as individuals have to live the truth, but that our task as Christians is to make sure that truth is what the, our representatives commit. In other words, that, that they are acting according to God's commandments and not to their own whims and desires and greed. And the majority of Western Christians, they are not aware of this, of their, they are brainwashed and they are not aware of the necessity of, of which I speak. And I want also to make clear that the, the, the attack on Western civilization, which we are in the middle of, uh, that the, is also on to the European uh, nations, which are part of the, and South, Africa, South America, mm-hmm. which are part of the Western uh, civilization, but that the position of the United States is quite different from any other country in the world. And the battle, the ideological battles with which we are about to lose, if America doesn't wake up to the reality, is on the, is the American government, which we are going to get with Obama, will be the contrary of what America needs. Mm-hmm. Well, we're but going we to... Are, yeah. yeah. So I say, we're going to talk about some of those issues you just raised in great detail uh, and about uh, truth and lies. And I'm going to use quite a few quotes out of your book. Because it's a, it's a very quotable book uh, to provide so, some background of the different facets of what you raise. And, and uh, th- this is very consistent with the theme of our show, A Future Quake. If you listen to our shows, we have a pursuit for truth. Sometimes that can be a difficult and challenging pursuit, even amongst Christians. Uh, well, well-meaning evangelical Christians uh, always still have a challenge in our culture of separating our culture, even Christian culture, from what real truth is, and it it requires a real challenge of devotion to the Lord and challenging each other to be able to see clearly in the very confusing days that we live in. So that that's a that's a mission we have. And when you mention the the, the role that the the church has, and in, in particularly in society, and that our leaders pursue truth, that is something that's come up again numerous times with guests we've had, like Robert Hyde and William Grigg, who've been on our shows about the obligation we have to love truth as followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't give us the privilege of holding up in our church where we're just with like-minded people and we can do very, very good and noble things, study our scripture, exhort one another, encourage each other to live godly, moral lives. But it requires that we do a mission to those around about us. And we have to be very, very careful in how we do it. We do have to do it in a manner that Jesus would. But uh, embracing truth has a lot of facets, and many of them are very challenging, and they're those that are risky. Uh, we can risk actually getting involved in things that we don't fully understand or associating with the wrong people or doing other kind of things that uh, we may regret later, but we really don't have an option to, to avoid uh, those issues uh, as I see it. I, I want to go back and ask you about the, um, the state of where we are right now. And what you remember as a as a young man in Germany uh, at the time from from when the, the the Nazis began to increase their power and and control of government uh, on through the wartime, what what kind of parallels 
uh, do you see in hindsight between uh, the the mindset and the, the state of our government, uh, what their attitudes are, the attitudes of the citizens in the United States now in comparison to Germany uh, back in that critical period of time? What commonalities do you see? Well, you cannot compare the German society then and the American society today. But when you, what you can compare is the moral structure, is the moral uh, basis uh, of the German society then and the American society now. And there, there is a frightening similarity. I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. The first one, and I, or let me put it this way. What, what brought Germany down were not the armies of our enemies at that time and was not our lack of, uh, uh, of military force, but it was the godlessness of our government and the godlessness of our society who had thrown out consciously the, the commandments of God out of society. We were told by the Nazis, uh, they had sometimes Gestapo agents in front of our church where we lived. We were told by the Nazis that we can pray and sing hymns as much as we like in our churches and at home. But in society, there is only what we, the National Socialists, say and do what is being done. Now, so in other words, they have taken out God in matters which decide about everybody in the nation. They decide. God has nothing to do with it. It's a personal affair. Now, that is the position of the ACLU. They do exactly the same. They don't call it like this, but this is what it is. The only thing they do not speak, they do not speak we, the National Socialists. They pretend to be concerned about American liberties, which is a lie. They are living a lie and they are producing a lie, but they have been very, very successful in eliminating God in schools, in public uh, affairs, which is absolutely ridiculous. I cannot understand why a, a nation who goes to the moon and is the most brilliant uh, society in the world cannot see the nonsense that God who has created the world, what a lot of people believe is, or what a lot of Christians think that is what it is. If they believe that God created the world, would he exclude those who direct the people from his commandments? That is completely absurd. But that is one of the things where the foundation of our society in that time and today here is the same. Well, Brother Hillmark, can I elaborate on that a little bit on this point while we're talking sure. about the religious aspect? You know, it appears to me uh, that Hitler well understood the weaknesses of a modern Western church that was exhibited in Germany. Judging from the quote uh, that he said supposedly that, that you supplied in your book, uh, here's a quote in your book. Uh, it says, I promise you, Hitler told his inner circle, 
that if I wanted to, I could destroy the church in just a few years. Uh-huh. It is hollow, it is hollow, it is rotten, and false through and through. One push, and the whole structure would collapse. We, said, yeah. right, we should trap the preachers by the notorious greed and self-indulgence. We shall thus be able to settle everything with them in perfect peace and harmony. I shall give them a few years' reprieve. Why should we quarrel? They will swallow anything in order to keep their material advantage. The parsons will be made to dig their own graves. They will betray their God for us. They will betray anything for the sake of their miserable jobs and incomes. Uh, so in, in line with that quote, how, how did the church then capitulate to Hitler and his dark spiritual forces and their attempt to be good, patriotic, and cooperative, if I remember the term German Christians, uh, you know, trying not to make waves with the local government or, or even get involved to defend the defenseless? How, how did that make itself manifest? Well, you mentioned the German Christians. That was a special section that, let's say, People who were left the, the, the Lutheran or the, the Catholic Church, and they formed a new kind of church. Right. And they 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 talked religious language, but with a Nazi ideology. In other words, they used the, the language, the Christian way of expressing things. They used to promote the National Socialist ideas. That where they were called the German Christians. Hmm. I was. We were in a Lutheran church. And uh, I, I think at that time, we, when, you were, when we were 14, I think it was, can't remember, could have been one year younger, we had two years of what we called confirmation uh, lessons. We went to church once or twice a week and were educated in the Christian uh, teachings, but not once, at least I don't remember, that that happened was the issue of the of the mistreatment, the inhuman treatment of the Jewish people was raised. Hmm. Um, so that is the way it was. And what argumentation they had for themselves, I do not know. All right, we're back at the Future Quick Show with Dr. Future. And Tom Isaac Hayes Bionic. Yeah. Your voice sounds better than that. Yeah, it actually does. It, does. it doesn't sound quite that low anymore. It doesn't sound like the theme from Shaft. Yeah. Um, well, he talked about, uh, Brother Hilmar talked about his life after the war and how uh, some influential people came in his life mm-hmm. and helped him to fully embrace his Christianity mm-hmm. after all of the tremendous loss and hardship he went through. It was, it was, uh, he's had an interesting, interesting life and, you know, then uh, the moral rearmament he talked about. There. Yeah, what a neat name of a group. I mean, they yeah. were called the Oxford Group and then they became the name Moral Rearmament. Because, you know, that whole era of the 20th century was about nationalism and taking up arms and building up mm-hmm. arms. And the, and the Germans were mm-hmm. about rearming themselves after. But they're all talking about physical arms. Mm-hmm. These people are talking about rebuilding society morally. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about rearming societies with morals. We think about no. weapons and guns. Well, that was in, And, you know, the thing that makes me nervous about that is that he said that there was a real... You can really compare the moral structure of uh, Germany at that time with the Un- United States now. Mm-hmm. You know, have we become morally unarmed? Right. And it's a, it's a very interesting point. And uh, he said his book, the theme of it was to uh, reveal the role of God in society. 
and what mm-hmm. happens when we let our government take that influence out. Yeah, he said something interesting I thought was cool. He said our task as Christians is to be truth representatives. Hmm. It's very um, which comes up time and again on our show. Yeah, practically a sub theme of our show. We're not allowed to keep put our head in the sand. Yep. When when lies come up in society, mm-hmm. I tell you, someone else who has a role, and that's Merv, to come in and tell our listeners yeah. how they can contact us at FutureQuake. So Merv, let them know how to do it. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, the time's come to an end here. Well, let's get out of here then. Okay, come back tomorrow for the third installment of our interview with Hilmar von Kampe. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am the mostly here Tom Bionic. Yes, we have Walking Wounded here sitting next to me. He's on injured reserve. I'm like a Petri dish. Tom Bionic. has reached its its maximum. Yeah, you're like... uh, Viral count. Yeah, (laughs) infecting me. (laughs) You're infecting me. Usually you just infect us with your poisonous words and thoughts. I'm Germs. I'm badness. Yeah. Well, thank goodness the show gets better. Even if I have to sacrifice my life today, being exposed <laughs> to you, it's worth it for our listeners out there. I should have the biohazard suit for you. Sorry. Well, we're going to come back now and listen to the third installment with our interview with Hilmar von Kampe. Yep, the you author, your name, his name just right. Yeah, yeah. Monday I had a problem. but yeah. uh, The author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie, A Former Hitler Youth Warns America. Mm-hmm. And this is a very intense segment right now that I think uh, mm-hmm. is probably the most intense part of the show. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, we'll just have a few minutes to talk about it when we come back. So no further ado, I think we need to go. Let's jump in it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here's Hil- uh, Hilmar von Kampe, and we'll be right back to discuss it on Future Quake. Well, well one thing that that in reading other references like uh, Erwin Lutzer's book, Hitler's Cross, and, and, and your book, other references, it seemed like there was a strong push to push patriotism and country first in the churches, and I find a lot of parallels to that. You you know very well, um, Brother Hilmar, that our country, America, is a very, very patriotic country. Uh-huh. We, 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 we very much love our country. We like to think we're special. We have a uh, special gift that we give, and we are in many ways. But um, there has been a major push in our country to uh, push a lot of... Uh, uh, not only having American flags inside our churches, but we have uh, we, we even have some churches here where we have uh, military members uh, jump down from the ceiling and rappel down to the ceiling and uh, do other things that. to sort of glorify uh, the, the military. It, it takes something very good, very noble people that are trying to defend freedom and protect their their neighbors, much like you did, but they make that sort of integrated into the church. 
What do you think about that? Does that have any kind of shades of what you saw growing up in the church? Well, it, this what you, if I understood you correctly, that is it has often puzzled me because there is absolutely nothing wrong. On the contrary, is the patriotism to your nation. But it's only the case if you have a government which represents your own personal values, which is Christian. With other words, which is Christian and the Constitution. The patriotism is, it comes to an end as, as it is understood. If you have a government which goes other ways. Mm-hmm. That is, the, that patriotism is part of our life. I have to say, when I faced myself, the reality of myself, I could not separate it from what my country had done. Mm. In other words, it was not that on the one side is my personal uh, life and on the other side there are two things which have nothing to do with other, and the other thing is uh, the, the country's, uh, uh, what the country does. No. What I do is I am responsible, I have a responsibility for what my country needs to do. And the, the patriots you are talking about, they are not for, 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 as the Christians in the churches and the pastors in the churches, they, they, they don't get the point that they are responsible for their own government. And if they think they can have their own religion at the side, then that is a very big mistake. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and, 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 and so I, in my book, I direct myself really I want to, 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 to enlist American Christians for the ideological battle, which is God's battle. I'm a voice of God in what I say and what I'm saying to America. The Christians have to awaken to reality and they have to fight for their standard. We have a, here in this country, we have religion, but we have a pagan infrastructure. You can kill babies in, in, in your mother's womb. Right. And the one who is promoting it can still call himself a sincere Christian. He's a liar. Right. Yeah, speak about Obama. Well, I understand it. <laughs> Brother Hilmar, is it possible that a Christian can be patriotic and also care about his community and his fellow brothers and sisters, his fellow Americans, but at the same time be skeptical of their own government and sometimes be skeptical when they think, that their own government is trying to exploit their church to take this pagan government agenda and get endorsement from from their church by using certain words and phrases and appealing to patriotism. In other words, exploiting something that is good and trying to use it for their own agenda. Can you still be patriotic by being suspicious when you sense your government is doing that? Well, in, in, in the full life of any person, there is, there, there, your family... It's your, it's your commitment. You can't, we, we worked with communist workers in Brazil. They were the, the syndicates, the, the, the union for the, for the port workers. They were the heads of the port workers union. They are whites. They are communists. But not the kind of communists as Putin. They were a little bit more human. So the, 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 the wives 
They had no complaint about getting not enough to eat, but they resented the women, the women, their half-husbands had at the side. And then my friends and I, we asked them how their communist theory works in their own family. And they admitted that it did not work. And that was a key for them to change to God. And that is what I'm trying now to say, is that you can't love your country if you don't love and your family. That is, uh, uh, that is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And the family is being destroyed here in America because of the homosexual push to have a same-sex uh, marriage and the, back, the, the lack of, back, of, of backbone of our representatives in, 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 in Washington. And if, we, if now comes Obama, who is in favor of everything of these immoralities, and the Christians don't fight, they will commit suicide. That's what I'm, unfortunately, that's the way I see it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how you mentioned how, uh, you know, family has to come first, because one of our major political parties, their campaign slogan this last election cycle was America first. Mm-hmm. And the implication that your country came before your family and your other institutions that well, you had. Well, right there on their website it said, we will put our country first. Right. And first was in big capital letters. Right. Which which is sad because that is a noble thing. Your love of country is a noble thing. But it shouldn't. shouldn't but when become, it gets out of order yeah. uh, from that is when be, it. It should be God, in my opinion. It should be God and then family and then friends and then community and then. Right country right uh, you, just me. You, you mentioned something about the army in your book you 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 debunked another myth that you did not receive political indoctrination when you were in the german army not uh, a bit and that it was forbidden <laughs> and, and that if i remember what you said right. was that um you were not forced to accept nazi ideology but that you were expected to follow orders and to display patriotism in defending your country and, and what I'm wondering, if that's that's true, could that same thing happen in our own country, trying to look at parallels today w- by our government challenging our patriotism and coercing us to fight enemies that maybe it's propped up for us under the presumption of protecting our country and our neighbors in appealing to our noble sense of patriotism for their own purposes? Well, I think the, I think the line in, in America is a little bit different. I have heard two hypocrites uh, talk about uh, Jesus Christ and the scriptures and the the, the, the kind of formalities of uh, outside Christian. The one is his name is Gorbachev, and there was a pastor. There is a pastor in I think in Los Angeles. I always forget his name, who had him uh, uh, who had him there, and he he made theater as uh, as a Christian. And the other one is Obama. He is not a Christian. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it is really, it is, uh, and I cannot understand how uh, more than half of the voters vote a man who is uh, has nothing to say except Marxism. But he has nothing, uh, he has no moral message, he doesn't, uh, no corruption, he has not taken anything up with his, uh, with his own party. He is no good. And what he is going to do, heaven knows. Well, now, you know, um, as you talk about in your book, about the deception that Hitler did where he dressed up uh, political prisoners as Polish soldiers and, yep. and had them shot and then t- 
lied to the German people and said that they were being invaded by an enemy and then appealed to the patriotism of the German soldiers yes. to attack and exploited the good love of country that the average German had for their own purposes and agenda. Uh, do you think the same potential could happen here? And in hindsight, should should the German army, the, the high command, the other members, other people been willing to look at their patriotism and see a higher calling to address those in their own government that were manipulating them as sort of a higher calling to their fellow citizens as opposed to blindly following orders. And if you and if so, do you think this, the same thing may happen today? It could. It could. I mean, here is a, I, I have really no knowledge about the backbone of uh, the military leaders of uh, of America. I didn't like the endorsement of Obama by General Powell um, shortly before the, the elections, but what the position of the generals is, I have great respect from what I heard about General Pace, and uh, I think the military is still the best of what America has, our soldiers, and uh, the generals are uh, they are professionals, but their morality and their responsibility, not as generals, but as American citizens, uh, about the direction in where this nation goes, I have no, unfortunately, I do not know, but anything should at least be in, on the table, in the box, what can be done. Well, I guess to compare back to that time, what, what Ribbentrop and his collaborators did, to eliminate Hitler, would you still consider that a patriotic act? In you the mean you, you you don't mean Molotov? You mean Stauffenberg? Uh, oh, Stauffenberg. Excuse me. I'm sorry, Stauffenberg. I was thinking Ribbentrop. Uh, yeah, Stauffenberg. you had Ribbentrop of Mo and Molotov. Right. Uh, no, Stauffenberg. Who, who, the, who, who the, cleans the back of Hitler so that he could go, go to war? Right. No. No. Uh, no. Uh, but you're talking about Stauffenberg, who wanted to kill Hitler. Yes. W did Did he and his collaborators would that be considered a patriotic act? Definitely. I consider it a patriotic act, and it was a great pity that it didn't work. They They had tried the military uh, resistance had tried several times, and there was always something came in between. Here it was the first time that he had a bomb which got close to Hitler and then this damned table was in the middle and Hitler got out alive. And that really was the end of the resistance and a great part of the of the of the killing of Jews in the concentration camps, a great part of the German soldiers which were dead, the loss of of uh, part of our country in, in in the east, all of that would have happened in a different way. But, but so you would consider that a higher calling of patriotism then, even yes. though it was disobeying orders of yeah, uh, his higher commanders. Yeah, it's 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 if you have an anti-God leader who leads the country into disaster. That is what Bonhoeffer, who was one of the famous Christians who stood up to Hitler and were then killed at the end of the war, he said, if I see a car which is in full speed onto a group of, of 
people who stand there are not waiting until they are dead so that I can bury him or uh, I can heal the wound. I try to stop the driver. And that is what, it, that I think saves everything. That, that, uh, it, if I speak of the enemy within and the outside enemies, the enemy within is the enemy within. In other words, he is an enemy. And if he is a president of the United States or a president of France who sells out to the gorgeous philosophy of Marxism, in my view, they are traitors. And there is, uh, I have a quotation here, which mm -hmm. I was I, looking for. Actually, I'm going to share that uh, quotation here toward the end, if you don't mind, because uh, oh. several of these quotes I thought were classic. And I, I'm going to show but I got, got one more question related to this. Um, yeah. It was just a few months ago, uh, our intelligence service, the NSA, just declassified uh, a number of reports about the Vietnam War and uh -huh. about the Gulf of Tonkin, which was the, the supposed uh, conflict with the North Vietnamese that led really to what we consider the Vietnam War. Uh, it was, it was a supposed attack by North Vietnamese on our ships. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, our president, came before Congress. Uh, he said we've been attacked, and he asked for uh, the, the ability to basically wage war in a police action without a vote of war by Congress. And because of this dastardly attack, he was given that right. And and afterwards, we uh, went into the Vietnam War. We we sent uh, hundreds of thousands of our patriotic uh, sons and daughters. Fifty thousand of them gave their lives. And we found out a few months ago that this entire event was based on a lie, that there was actually no Gulf of Tonkin event that occurred. It had been rumored for many years, and now our own government admits that it was a total fabrication. And so we have 50,000 men uh, who now live in foreign graves, as well as those who were devastated and destroyed when they came back, based upon a lie that our government told. And certainly other military officers, high officers, must have known. In fact, there were, there were Air Force pilots who flew over the place of the battle and were reporting back that they couldn't see where, where the battle was. Uh, this is something that's been a trend. Back even in the turn of the 20th century in the Spanish-American War, uh, the, the newspapers had asked uh, for a war. Uh, and they wanted an event to cause a war, and so uh, our soldiers snuck on a, a ship, uh, one of our own ships, the Maine, and blew it up, and they blamed it on the Spanish. And then we began an imperialistic war against uh, the Philippines mm -hmm. and Cuba and other places. Uh, we, we've had sort of uh, a repeated incident of these kind of things occur. Um, in, when those kind of events occur, do, do, do military people have a duty when they see lies like this occurring that could endanger millions of lives to risk their own lives and reputations to step forward and stop it? They have, in my view, they have the right. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't favor an individual acting alone, uh, but I think that is... Uh, you know the story of uh, you told them yourself the, the the beginning of World War Two how that worked by a lie right and so either this I haven't heard this story I have heard other stories of uh, of presidents um, no uh, I I uh, I think we are the militia is uh, that was a decision of the founding fathers who are aware, aware as well of the temptation of the lust for power as 
and as a, a human nature, and um, they have uh, stated they have created the, the militia and the arming of the the, uh, the, the citizens. Really, the main reason, if I see it correctly, was so that the citizens can defend themselves against an oppressive government. And this falls quite easily in this category. It has only to be a little bit more than just one person, because one person can err, err or how do you say, can be in, 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 in error. Mm -hmm. But I would say that is a, that is a militia uh, well, I, I've picked on the United States a little bit. I want to ask you something about uh, Europe today. Uh, yeah. in, in the European Union today, as indicative of the pagan, post-Christian European society we see today, uh, we've reported on our show uh, in recent months that Darwinism has been officially declared legislatively by the European Union as their official belief with creationism described by their own legislative edict as a threat to democracy. And countries such as Germany are now taking children away from their parents who homeschool them and, ha and actually institutionalize these children that have been homeschooled. And now they have hate crime laws against unpopular speech in the country. I, I know in your book uh, you said that children there in Germany are taught about religion in books like how children can defend themselves against parents, which exposes a lot how the state now looks at uh, the influence of, of parents and role models. How else has Europe descended into an immoral, brutal, Darwinistic state? Well, I didn't, I haven't heard, I was not aware of it, put this way, because I don't live over there, but I, I haven't heard that Darwinism is indoctrinated in the European schools, as far as I know, the education is still uh, on a national basis, but I will follow. I will find this out. Well, I can forward you an email. Uh, the the actual legislative action, the European yeah, the European Council was the one who had a task force to determine this, and they decided that uh, Darwinism was the official position of the European Union, and they voted in their legislation, European Union, the deputies on this. And yeah, that's still. But, but still, the education, as far as I think, I'm not an expert, but I think the education is not even part of the German government, but it is part of the, the State of the Union, as you would say here. Mm -hmm. uh, and let me also say that I have read this several times, and that is a mistake, that the, the, to force why the children are being forced into government schools and there's there is a battle about homeschooling. It is not a Nazi law. There is a law from the year 1880 or 75 or something right. of that. Wow. Well, it was not natural for everybody to go to school. The poor people couldn't go to school. And there was made a law which would bring the force of parents to bring their children to be educated, to learn to write and and all these kind of things. In other words, that was a positive measure. It ended as a positive measure when the Nazis took over, mm -hmm. and, and now it is the same. Now you have the you have the, the socialists dominating, even not necessarily in the 
in the in the in the Congress or in the in the in the Parliament, but the, the intellectual lines are being created by the left, and of course they don't want the homeschooling, and so they use a law, an old law, which has changes completely. Now it's something completely different, but they apply the old ones, and that is what makes the thing, and they are not capable uh, to, to change that. I don't know who is behind it. I know that the American homeschooling groups helping the Germans, and I'm very grateful they do that, And but they have to get it on the legal level. All right, we're back at the Future Quake show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. Boy, you were drawing from energy reserves there for that one. I'm just, you? I'm trying to get up for this, man. I'm yeah. trying to get up for it. I'm sorry, being a Future Quake is such a downer for you. No, 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 it's not. This is the one high point of my life. Are most you of, most of our everything listeners is, just try to have the will is, to live during it. Yeah, it's like. Buildings, the facades are all falling down. At least yeah. I know Future Quake is still standing. Well, you know, I heard that they expose uh, the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay to Future Quake just to try to get them to bust, trying no, to get them to speak. No more, Doctor Future. Yeah. Well, we talked about two very intense topics uh, this show, and I don't know if uh, Brother Hilmar was uh, uh, prepared for the depth that we went into these, but uh, uh, we talked about patriotism in the church which is something we allude to in a number of shows, and also mm-hmm. patriotism in the military. And uh, to me, what he experienced and observed in Germany was very fruitful and enlightening for us to look at in comparison to our country. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things. Oh, boy, I'm glad I'm not in the military, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners are probably glad for that too. Except for our military listeners, yeah. of which there's many. Well, no, they're glad Thank that, you for serving, No, they're by the glad way. that I'm not in the military. Because it would be well, because like you're a thing. rebel. You because would, I would cause a mess. You would like fight like everything they ask you to do. You'd want to know <laughs> why. Like, no. Yeah, you send that general <laughs> down and explain to me why I have to do this. You know that guy that drove around San Diego in the tank? That'd be yeah, like, that'd I remember be like him. a slow Tuesday for me. Yeah, I understand it. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I anyway, mean, uh, you would point. be a destructive force on our military. Yeah, yeah. They're. Yeah. I don't. I'm not there, and they're. I'm sure they're glad not to have me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, be like Tokyo Rose and what effect she had on the American GI. Well, let's not get out of hand. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the point I was going to make it, it is he does bring up an interesting conundrum, which is uh, you know all most militaries swear to protect the laws of the land and not right. you know not the people who rule. So right, but they disregard that anyway many yeah. times yeah. in many countries. Uh, speaking of conundrums, we have Merv uh, coming to tell you how you can get a hold of us. So Merv, tell him how to get a hold of Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, two seconds. Nice segue. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you have a great day. And until tomorrow, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Auf Wiedersehen. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Change the
Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. Bionic. <laughs> I just Were thought it was uh, funny. <laughs> Mr. Ed or something? Wilbur? <laughs> Wilbur. <laughs> Actually, he feels like a horse right now. Yeah. Just out of the glue factory. Yeah. A little under the weather. I know. Uh, I was thinking I was going to say, and I'm the mostly alive but not totally there Tom Bionic, and yeah. you were going to laugh and giggle. It looks like he's in the last stages of uh, genetic a bowl, experiments. A bowl of Marburg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm hopefully I have immunity to it. Yeah. Well, we are going to conclude our interview uh, today with Hilmar von Kampe, the mm-hmm. author of Defeating the Totalitarian Lie, A Former Hitler Youth Warns America. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, yesterday, we talked about some very controversial subjects, and mm-hmm. I'll just mention something that I'm sure we'll probably get a lot of hate mail to the radio station and uh, people not. protesting and things like that. But I mentioned the whole thing about putting the American flags in the sanctuary of the church and the stuff we do. Now, I'm a patriotic person. I love America. I'm glad for the sacrifice of our men and women. I've worked for the military in developing uh, products to help protect them in battle, so don't desire to be lectured about whether I love our fighting men and women. But the church has a mission that transcends our countries. That's my personal view. Sure. Well, I've I've shot at cans with a with a BB gun one time. But I also think our country is... Well, thank you for doing that on behalf of all of us. Well, you know, uh, having was said that... Was the can that, a threat to American society? It was a communist can. Okay. <laughs> I understand. No, no, no. The point is is that, you know, I've, I've actually come from my father worked for the military... Uh, I have uh, cousins and uncles and aunts and other family members who have been, uh, you know, serve, and I'm proud of them for doing that. But like you say, the, the church, state is one thing. The church is something completely different. The church has an even more sacred role than as wonderful yeah. our, our patriotism is. It's even higher. If you start hanging the, hanging the flag in the church, pretty soon people are going to start confusing the two. You know, well, it's what they did in Germany. The states, yeah, see, the state is sort of a religious object. And they merge. And then you're in all sorts of problems. And the problem is, is that the state will exploit the church for its purposes. Mm -hmm. Back in the old days of the Catholic Church, back in the Middle Ages, they used the state for that purpose. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, contrary to a lot of belief of, you know, we've grown up in conservative environments, uh, that uh, you're not supposed to criticize the government. Uh, I think it's patriotic now to criticize your government and to be wary of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually looking out for your fellow citizens is when you do that. Oh, absolutely. So enough off the soapbox. We need to go to the interview, and then we'll come back after its conclusion and wrap up our interview here on Future Quake. Well, I, I know we had some Baptist missionaries from the United States that had to be smuggled back here from Germany because yes. they naturally homeschooled their children, and the legislation there was that if you were called homeschooling your children, your children were taken and uh, made wards of the state and actually, uh, you know, were institutionalized, basically, uh, psychologically. And they had to be rushed out uh, with their children. The, the government was looking for them. They were in hiding, as I understand it, and had to be smuggled back here because of these laws. Now, I, I know that's not natural for for the the good german people but there's something going on with the european union that appears to be very frightening uh, in in what they're doing in making these establishments and i well, think is, america is right behind them in doing that well you have read read my book you know what happened the european uh, union is a, is a consequence of of the policies of the soviet union 
Hmm. And they want, and what they, the, here Bush is an instrument of international socialism, communism, with his plan of the North uh, American uh, uh, community with, uh, with uh, Mexico and Canada and, and, and us. That is all, Lenin said at the beginning of the 20th, we will, dis- as it's not in my book, I think, I only got this afterwards, mm-hmm. we will destroy the sovereignty of all nations. There are too many nations, and he formed groups, and he, pre- and he, he defines precisely what they, have, what they are doing right now. And that shows you that Western policies are completely insufficient in dealing with people who make plans for decades ahead, and if it doesn't work today, and it doesn't work tomorrow, and it doesn't work the day after tomorrow, but the next day, then it will, and this. Right. And everything they do is, is directed for, for final victory, and that is what I think America needs. America needs a definition of a national purpose, which includes and gives purpose to all citizens, and especially to young people. If they don't do that and keep on as they're doing it now, fighting it out in, in, in Washington and doing what they think is best and not what God thinks is best and not what is best for America. Well, you, you, you said in confronting these ideologies that are persistent, Thomas Jefferson said that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And when you experience the goodness of liberty, it's very easy to become soft and after you fought one battle to lay down your arms and not realize that your enemy never waves the white flag of surrender. Uh, we, we, we had one guest on our show who um, ha- had been persecuted for some unpopular opinions he had. He was a German citizen that was on our show. He made the claim that now there are more East Germans in, in East Germany that are in prison for their political beliefs after reunification than it was under the Soviet well, regime. That actually, and he, he gave us the numbers on it, but it, it during the Soviet occupation, there were less political prisoners than there are now. So I, I sense almost a dark cloud, another type of uh, uh, curtain of secularism and materialism that has come across Europe, uh, much like the Iron Curtain uh, did before. Uh, moving on to something else regarding... Um, the, the nature of the ideologies that come across in our um, in our media and elsewhere. You said in your book that liars in government are more dangerous than a suicide bomber, yes. which I thought was an excellent quote, and I've never heard better truth outside the Bible in my life. Uh, and, and you said that people in Germany who challenged these lies uh, back in the time of, of uh, the Nazis were held guilty of the crime of defeatism. Yes. Uh, while overseas, at the same time that uh, institutions like the New York Times were decrying those who attempted to assassinate Hitler, they, I did not know that that, really? that even our own American media Whoa. was actually speaking neg- negatively of those who were trying to overthrow Hitler. Well, I know that we did have uh, a lot of supporters. Well, that, yeah, know, but that was early, and, you know, before the war started. Yeah. But but even during the war, our mass media are, are supporting this. Uh, but I find this term defeatism very, very interesting because that's what we hear when people ask any questions about how we fight our wars here now. Uh, they're accused of the same defeatism here in our own country when they're just concerned about uh, are we doing things for the best welfare of our people. Um, what are some of the lies uh, taught by our institutions, media, 
government, corporate world, and education system, and those that are believed in practice in our own communities, families, and personal lives today. Can you give us some examples? I didn't fully get the question. The lies. The uh, lies. Yeah, you, you talk a lot about lies. You you you, you yes. characterize it, which I think is a very good way to put your arms around what we confront. And can you give us examples of what some of these lies are? They're taught by our various institutions, our media, our government, corporate world, our education system, that the kind that are believed maybe on a national level or in our communities or even in our families and personal lives today. Well, I have, I found I have watched uh, television during during the reporting for the for the election from the beginning when they started with the uh, with the primaries, and you always feel that when you have uh, then the, the the television stations have uh, a Democrat and a Republican to explain something. You always find, and that was the, the big mistake of. Uh, of McCain, that he did not realize who he has in front of him. The the the, the Republican tries to explain what he thinks is right. With other words, he directs himself at the mind of the of, of people who should be understanding what he is saying. The Democrats they have a kind of like a like a, a record which they put on. Which is with most of them the same, blaming Bush and and saying that is this and this is bad and that and that we cannot do and so forth. You never could have a real discussion or a real conversation about any subject. Totally impossible. They were directing them to the ignorant people which they were enlisting for their cause, and they didn't mind whether they the. the the, <coughs> the Republicans, the people were, all of us, I mean, conservatives in a sense, we, we so this is very wrong and this is right, he is correct and he is wrong. It doesn't make any difference to them. And I realized when the election campaign ended and the elections took place and we, uh, McCain had lost, that is why, why that happened. They know exactly what is the weakness of the American people, the weakness of the different groups, and we play play that out. And there is uh, the decent, what I say, Christians and the decent conservatives have a very tough time to to overcome them mm-hmm. because they're lying. Takes yeah. another lie is uh, the, that is beneficial for Canada and. America, the United States, and Mexico to form a, U- commun- commun- uh, a, a union. That's complete nonsense. I lived 15 years in Mexico, and I know that was the last what Mexico needs, not to speak for much. But they lie to us because they don't give us the facts. Lying is not only speaking a lie, but also hiding the truth, and that's what they are doing. Right, mm. right. Well, that's what we found part of our mission here on Future Quake is to make our best effort to expose information that is not being exposed in the mainstream media and to provide that available for people to make discerning decisions on what the truth is. Uh, neither Tom or I say that we we are the 
uh, repository of well, all truth or only, <laughs> only our opinions. But just uh, kidding, just we, kidding. We, we try our best to provide right. that missing information and food for thought to to have people well-rounded in their in their information to consider. Uh, Let me can I add one more lie. Please. That is the lie that that uh, giving land, Christian land, Judeos, Jewish land, to the terrorists in, in, in the Israel area. How on earth can Bush try to force the, the Israelis to make peace with terrorists who want part of Jerusalem? And if, if I read the newspaper correctly, then Obama is going to follow suit and trying to force them also to it. It is a lie that is no peace. On this basis, there is no peace. It's, it's another step in the direction of destruction of Israel. That's what they want, the Islamic terrorists. So they are lying to them. The, our politicians are lying to them uh, uh, what, about the benefits they will have. Well, my presumption is if governments get together to decide something, it is not in the best interest of the average person on the street. Whether they're Jew or Arab or whatever, they uh, yep. they, they already have their own vested interest. Um, but before we uh, conclude here, we're getting in about the last uh, nine minutes or so, uh, yes. you began to quote something about patriotism, and I think I know what you were going to say because it was very important to me, and I, I want to make sure I get this in before we conclude. Uh, you, you eloquently stated in your book that a patriot is he who faces God's absolute truth about his country after having faced himself and then joins those who fight to correct what is morally wrong. Everyone wants the other fellow, the other nation, the other group, those with a different religion or race, to be different or killed first. This erroneous philosophy led to all materialistic ideologies, ideologies that only make things worse. If you point your finger at your neighbor, there are four pointing back at you, the saying goes. Lasting change, as I found out, must begin with oneself and one's own nation. Uh, you also quoted Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who pointed out uh, in this quote, The most important part of our freedom, inner freedom, is always subject to our will. Uh, if we surrender to corruption, if we, we do not deserve to be called human, but let us note that the absolutely essential task is not political liberation, but liberation of our souls from participation in the lie forced upon us. Then it requires no physical, revolutionary, social, or organizational measures, no meetings, strikes, trade unions. No. It requires from each individual a moral step within his or her power, no more than that. No one who voluntarily runs with the hounds of falsehood will ever be able to justify himself to the living or to posterity or to his friends or to his children. So, considering all of that and, and those quotes out of your book, how do we as citizens take personal action to represent Christ and be salt and light in these matters of defending and pursuing truth and exposing lies? Well, I think one way, it sounds egocentric, but it, it isn't. To give me a chance to speak to people and sell my book, because that what I'm saying, I would like all America to read and to discuss. That's the only way we can get the better of the of the Obamas and this uh, uh, <laughs> anti-God crowd. crowd. That to lift ourselves up into a higher, uh, or, uh, yeah, from uh, in a higher plane which 
tries to mobilize the American people for the for the leading role of America. That's the one thing I can say. So in other words, <laughs> I look for occasions to speak to people. And if you want to sell my book, you can have a box and get it to the to the price uh, any bookstore gets. Okay. Well, I want to. I just want to uh, encourage our listeners to go back and listen to the quotes that I just said, and really think about them long and hard, and to get your book. And to take a look at those passages and really think about them. And in our last few minutes here, I want to know if you could tell us very quickly about your new initiative called the National Institute for Truth and Freedom. Hmm. I didn't understand the question. But uh, can can you tell us you have a new initiative, I understand, called the National Institute for Truth and Freedom? That yeah, that involved? is an institute which I founded. But it, it is, it, I have been waiting for getting uh, into the public for a long time, and I have this is my sixth book, and finally, I'm 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 in the middle of of getting somewhere. So that means I need an instrument where people not can. It's not for being a member. It's for being initiative uh, to have initiative to to attack the lie and stand up for truth. In whatever situation, in a, in a, in a local, in a national, in a family, whatever it is, to give the philosophy and the facts I have in my book to make them the property of the American people. That is what, what, what I am after. Okay. But this is a group, it sounds like to me, that's intended to be somewhat activist or sort of a think tank for yes, these type yeah, of exactly. issues. It's, okay. it's more of a think tank, yeah. But it can. I have a lot. I have a lot of people, uh, uh, let's say, which I would I would like have conferences and get speakers from 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 not just from America but from other countries on the line of what we are talking about right now. I have at least two former communists in top positions, which I think I can invite if I have. But I first must have the the response of, of enough people that I can put a thing like that. Hmm. But okay. there are possibilities of, of moving uh, which, which I visualize and where the, the, the institute gives us uh, the legal uh, uh, background and possibility to, to pay and receive donations and whatever. Okay. Well, uh, we've got about one to two minutes before we need to wrap up and, and give the name of your book again and how people can get it. Um, there, yeah. was, there was a group you mentioned in your book called the White Rose, a resistance group. Yes. That, that Their phrase was, we are not silent, we are your conscience, we will not leave you in peace. And yes. they defended the values you said that were important to them, freedom, love of neighbor, love of life, and faith in God. And in yes. our last minute here, can you... Tell us how the church in particular, those who follow Christ, can, can actually defend truth amid the challenges that society uh, is giving us today. You are asking a question for the American Christians here. Right. right. How, can, how can Christians that know Christ use our special role? Well, I think, yeah, I think there is, I, I believe that any, every congregation should be a planning group who plans how to make God get into the center of American society. And they themselves could make a list 
of what is against it in their surroundings. Why has it not sub, uh, not not happened yet? I think facing the reality is uh, the, for every Christian. If they don't do it, they will never, they will never, never, never uh, come to anything uh, which is close to what God wants America to do. Mm-hmm. Well, how can our listeners uh, get your book and also keep up with your uh, your work, uh, your continuing work? Well, I have. Uh, let me again say my website is www.vonkampel.com. I write normally, I have just finished today, I have nearly finished an article, uh, which I suppose will be uh, published uh, also in uh, WorldNet daily. Um, I have, uh, uh, I go on, I come, I come, uh, I, I, I come to any situation in any part of the, of America if there is an, if there is a desire for me to address the people, I, I would very much, uh, uh, like to do that, and I can only say this is all in, by internet. But I am a one-person operation, and already my the the mess of information I get makes it very difficult for me. Okay. Uh, so so if you don't mind, we'll put that link on our website. Definitely. Uh, for people yes. to stay. And how can people find your book to purchase it? They can in my website, in the bookstores, in um, Amazon.com. Uh, I, I think in also in uh, no, what the other big one, it's a Canadian chain, I think. Um, uh, what is the next, after Amazon.com, what is the next uh, big books selling? Well, it's uh, Books a Million or Barnes & Noble or? Uh, uh, Barnes & Noble. Okay. They normally have it. And uh, for me, if anybody buys it, uh, via my website, then they get my signature also. Oh, wonderful. Great. Well, so uh, it is 15, it's $14.95 and $3.30 and 30 or $50. Uh, it's in the, should be in the, in the website okay. of Porter and Handling and all these kind of things. It was a wonderful read, and I want to thank you for coming on our show. You think you might be willing to come back some other time in the future? I should be delighted to come back to you. Well, it was yeah. a it was a pleasure yeah. to have you. Thank you for giving us tremendous food for thought. And on behalf of our listeners, I want to thank you for coming on Future Quake. Well, thank you very much for taking me. Well, thank you, and you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we're back at the Future Quake show with Dr. Future. And the walking wounded. <laughs> yes. Dr. Bionic. Uh, I, it, actually, I probably shouldn't bring that up. I don't know why I keep bringing that up. Tom Bionic is here. Pray ready for to him. serve. Pray for Brother Tom. Yep. Pray that he gets feeling better. And pray for all of us and everything else going on yeah. in our life, and, too. You know, and throw some prayer, prayers for our nation. This is a very weird mm-hmm. time we're in, and I think things are going to get yeah. very bad here real quickly. That's just my sort of personal right. spin on things. Well, we'll see, I agree but. with your personal spin. Yeah. And that was a conclusion of our interview with uh, Brother Hilmar. I hope you get his book, mm-hmm. Defeating the Totalitarian Lie. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, switching gears from America to the European Union. It sounded like a lot of the points I had brought up he was not familiar with. No. Uh, some of the developments over there. Well, you know. But you know he's not been there. I don't care. He's, you know, he lives down there in Mobile and, yeah. you know. God's surf, country. Surf fishes and stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you think that's what he does? Ah, that's what I'd be doing. Are you yeah. kidding? I don't know. 
I like I like surf fishing. Well, the last time Mrs. Future and I were down in that in the Panhandle of Florida on yeah. the beach, yeah, there was a we were there with Pyro uh-huh. and a German man walked by. And he German? looked and he says, "That is a shepu." He knew the breed of Pyro. That's just a He had one. He wow. had a dog like Pyro, and he was German. And they were thick as fleas. The Germans down there. Really? Yeah. That's in the Panhandle. I know it's well, they get tired of like all that snow up there in Germany, and yeah, wearing the lederhosen. Well, uh, he talked about. We talked about the European Union and some mm-hmm. of the crazy things that are going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talked. Uh, went back and refinished some. Uh, pretty neat quotes out of the book about mm-hmm. patriotism and let me just mention this again a patriot is he who faces god's absolute truth about his country after having faced himself and then joins those who fight to correct what is morally wrong wow he sounds like he'd be a, he's a really good writer i haven't read his book it's but. it's interesting but you know what to me that just sounds like a description of the c triple mm. yeah kind of yeah i mean that would be a good good phrase for them and by the way this will be our uh, our uh, last comment again. You need to come check out Documentary Night. We'll yes. be having them back again in January. January, right? I think the I think the next one is January thirty first. We're gonna have some special guests and yeah. show show uh, Chris Pinto's movie, uh, The right. Kinsey Syndrome. Okay, we'll see if we can get Chris out there to talk and maybe right. Colette Bercu. Sure, that'd well. be great. Yeah. Well, uh, we need to hurry up. It's it's at futurequake.com, but let's let Merv tell you how you can get a hold of us there at Futurequake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Last few seconds. Let's just get out of here, man. Okay, tomorrow is tomorrow's Tremors. We know you'll love it. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am most definitely Tom Bionic. And this is most definitely Friday. Indeed. At least when this is being broadcast. Very good. And we have had a very Future Quake-ish interview this week. Yeah. With uh, Hilmar von Kampe. Yeah. Um, added the international flair to our show. Mm-hmm. And I wish he would have brought some shyness, Mitchell. Yeah, it was that his granddaughter or <laughs> no? It's a it's a meat stuff. It's a meat stuff. It's a German meat stuff. Oh, Schneiderschnitzel. Well, we do have White Castle here in this area. I wish he would have brought Schneiderschnitzel. Okay. I think I've made it clear to my the audience where we where we both stand on the uh, ultra divisive White Castle doctrine. Love offerings of White Castle are readily appreciated by Doctor Future. <clears throat> Toe jam. Toe jam. No. <clears throat> Today is tomorrow's tremors or. Just talk about funny stuff. 
<laughs> it wasn't even a good yeah, question. Yeah, most of our stories are about like widespread yeah. uh, poverty, economic yeah. apocalypse. Yeah, that wasn't even... Usually I come up with something vaguely witty. That wasn't even witty. Sorry. Hey, um, speaking of apocalypse, uh, just as a little aside here, you know, I watch at least one movie a year, mm-hmm. whether you know I want to or not. Yeah. And uh, even though I used to make movies, for the feature-length movies, I mm-hmm. just don't find much time now to watch them. Mm-hmm. But there was a movie that, and I don't know what everybody else out there will think about this, but I was, somehow I was intrigued by the premise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally got around to watching it this weekend. I was sort of getting over my illness. What what movie Took was Took a it? break from work and did it. It was called The Mist. Mm. Uh, it was based on a story by Stephen King. It came out about a year ago. And uh, normally I don't get into those kind of stories. But mm-hmm. the reason why I was interested in is I'd heard just enough about it to recognize that some, something like a dimensional portal, they believed, was opened by the military mm. that started impacting this community. Mm. And it sounded very much like something straight out of Tom Horn's work. Wow. It was a very Tom Horn, Airman Gatish kind of environment. So that's somebody why I want to see make, it. Somebody ought to make a movie out of that book. Well... We may have stuff to report soon yeah, down the road. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, it was a really intriguing movie. Interesting. Now, wasn't you know on the sexual content? There was none of that kind of stuff. There were a few little choice words I didn't prefer in it. Mm-hmm. But the the tension and the drama and just the sense of dread of these weird creatures coming out of an a dimensional abyss. Mm-hmm. And and one thing I find interesting is that this mist was part of whatever opened on this. And I think we've talked about this before on the show, is that every time it seems like the heavens open up to our, our mortal sphere, there's always clouds mm-hmm. or smoke or something in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And even if you hear in spiritualism, when you hear some of the reports that sound like they're more legitimate, some, some contact occurred, mm-hmm. there's usually this kind of, kind of cloudy mystery. kind of stuff that comes. So I just wonder if there's something to that. Well, I know that when I go and talk to my boss, I smell brimstone. Do you really? <laughs> Well, we'd like to say hi to him out there if he's listening right now. I'm sure he's not listening. <laughs> well, we need to get on to some stories. Would you yeah. like to take one first, or, um, or shall I? Why don't we do Why don't we do this? We've done it twice so far, and I would like to do it a third time, maybe even make it a regular part of Friday. It's just prayer? say a quick prayer. Yeah. Be wonderful. Right. I would love it. Would you like to lead us in I'll, I'll lead us just in a real quick one here. Please do. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just want to praise your name and thank you so much for, for today. Um, Lord, just continue to open the eyes and do your work, both through us and through our listeners, um, and continue to open our eyes as we learn more about you and uh, as we try and do the best that we can to present you and the gospel and your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Tom. I appreciate that very, very much. Well, we can all use a little prayer. That gets us us (laughs) us grounded and back where we need to be. Some of us more than others. Well, that's true. I'm sure many of the, our listeners pray for us, yeah. or pray for the station management of, yeah. of our radio station. Yeah. Uh, would you like to start with a uh, story? Uh, uh, I opened up with prayer, so I I would let you. You go. would defer. Yeah, I'll defer. The uh, other the winning team defers to kick. So. Yep. All right. This is one um, hitting the most intense ones and then going down. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty thousand more troops for U.S. for domestic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington Post, Pentagon to detail troops to bolster domestic security. Uh, the U.S. military expects to have 20,000 uniformed troops inside the U.S. by 2011, uh, trained to help state and local officials respond to a nuclear terrorist attack or other domestic catastrophe, according to Pentagon officials. Well, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Let me get this straight. The U.S. military expects to have uniformed troops inside the United States 
20,000. 20,000 of them to help state and local officials. Now, is this on top of the troops that they've already designated? I, fast reaction team? I, I think that group is a subset of them because they're mentioned a few paragraphs okay. down here. Well, here's another question I have. Uh, what happened to this whole thing where they said those troops uh, that they uh, stationed a few months ago were just were just going to be like one group? They just said, well, that's it's just one group. It's not going to be more. Well, you know, we were going to just have one bailout. They weren't going to need any more bailouts. Yeah, and now either. it's up to eight hundred, eight yeah. and a half trillion. Do you feel like a big red thing on a stick? Um candied apple <laughs> Tucker uh, obviously they feel like they can tell us whatever they want to say and yeah they can do whatever they please you know they just had an election where they told us a bunch of stuff against what all of us wanted mm-hmm. and then the public voted those very same people back into office so I think that reinforced the fact that they can do whatever they please well here's a question that I have what what the heck is the military going to be able to do that Local, state, and national guard can't do in the majority of natural disasters. What they, what are they going to do? Well, they have lots of bigger guns. They have nukes. They have, yeah. Well, uh, really, you know, in a tanks and bigger guns, which yeah. you know is good against a tornado. Yeah, I was going to think like in a, in like midwestern flooding, the thing you you really need is a twenty six ton uh, automobile with a with a turret. I mean, you know, the Army's there for resistance. It's there for squashing resistance wherever you deploy it. Yes. There's really, I mean, there are engineers and the kind of things, but National Guard has those kind of stuff. I mean, there's yeah. stuff available. So so beyond, like, building stuff, really, military is there to have overwhelming force. Yes. To get pe- force people to so comply. So why do we need those on our shores? Uh, well, the presumption from other articles that I've read, including the ones when we originally reported, like out of the Army Times and things. Uh-huh. Do you remember the Army Times article where they said that, they were having a whole new suite of anti-personnel weapons. Yes. And that there was all new ones, and they were going to use what they learned in Iraq. Mm-hmm. This is the quote in Army Times. Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah, they were saying, us. yeah, like the house-to-house sweeps and stuff was the illusion. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, which is interesting because I guess six or seven months ago we, we reported uh, Chuck Baldwin saying that people had um, – uh, he had been talking to troops coming back from Iraq, and they had been told that eventually they were they needed to be prepared to turn their guns on uh, the homeland because that's what they were going to have to do. And now here's just another confirmation. Oh my of that. goodness! So, yeah, heaven help us. I mean, 2009 could be life not be like we could ever knew it real, before. Could be a real problem. Huh. I would say diversify into guns and butter. Well, beans and rice, rack, mm-hmm. rack actually. Hmm. Diversify into beans and rice. That's what Tom Bionic always says. Become soldiers of fortune. Well, you'll find me in the Faroe Islands. Look that up, people. F-A-R-O-E. Yep. But don't, not too many of you go, of our millions of listeners. Uh, here, I can elaborate here. Mm-hmm. The long-planned shift in the Defense Department's uh, role in Homeland Security was recently backed with funding and troop commitments after years of provide, prodding by Congress and outside experts, defense analysts said. There are critics of the change in the military and among civil liberties groups and libertarians who express concern that the new homeland emphasis threatens to strain the military and possibly undermine the Posse Comitatus Act. A 130-year-old, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I guess it. 130-year-old federal law restricted the military's role in domestic law enforcement. Oh, those old fuddy duddies, oh. civil libertarians, at pansies, constitutional yeah. limits. Oh. You say that again. Uh, but the Bush administration and some in Congress have pushed 
for a Heightland Homeland military role since the middle of this decade, saying that the greatest domestic threat is terrorists exploiting the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. And while he's been doing that, we have Obama getting a civilian force of snitches who he's getting like a Stasi force to watch your neighbors and yeah. squeal on them if you're doing something ungreen. Or well, that's otherwise. what I'm here for. I mean, keep reading. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, great. Got a Manchurian candidate <laughs> in the on, studio. Hold on, hold on. I need to take notes on what you're uh, saying. Pyro, protect me here. Okay. Uh, before the terrorist attacks of September 11th, dedicating 20,000 troops to domestic response, nearly a sevenfold increase in five years, would have been extraordinary to the point of unbelievable. Paul McHale, uh, Assistant uh, Defense Secretary of Homeland uh, Defense Center, remarks last month at the Center for Strategic International Studies. But the realization that civilian authorities may be overwhelmed in a catastrophe prompted a fundamental change in military culture. So in other words, the culture now of we can do whatever we please. Yeah, well, what's, what I've always found fascinating about all this is that the whole idea of a military, the military working on the homeland should be illegal. And when in fact they need, when in fact they need to actually operate on the homeland, it needs to be in in a position that it's so extraordinary that nobody would question it. Mm -hmm. And now, instead of doing that, what they're doing is they're making it legal. This is like preemptive uh, war. Yeah. And it's preemptive laws. Pre preemptive Except war it's on preemptive stuff. war on you and I and the rest of our listeners. Yeah, I understood the Army was supposed to defend the rights of citizens, mm -hmm. not attack citizens. Serve and protect and fire our 50 cal at them. Yeah. You know? Well, here's some details. The Great. Pentagon... Uh, Pentagon's plan calls for three rapid reaction forces to be ready for emergency response by September 2011. The first 4,700-person unit built around an active-duty combat brigade based at Fort Stewart, this is the ones we've talked about, mm -hmm. uh, was available as of October 1st, General Victor Renoir Jr. says. If funding continues, two additional teams will join nearly 80 smaller National Guard and Reserve units made of 6,000 troops supporting local and state officials nationwide. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll really be supporting state officials probably parked out in their uh, office yeah. saying, uh, here's what you might want to think about doing. Um, all would be trained to respond to a domestic chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, or high-yield high explosive attack. Um, and preparations for domestic weapon of mass destruction attack have been underway since 1996. What's a uh, uh, CBRNE event? Chemical, biological, radio radiological, nuclear, or explosive. Oh, I was going to say maybe it's like citizens being Republican in nature or something. Yeah. I don't know. No. Not exiting. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm scanning over here to see if there's anything else. Okay, We've got other good. stories to do. Yeah. But um, it says here, uh, national security threats are not limited to adversaries who seek to grind down U.S. combat forces abroad, but also those who want to inflict such brutality on our society that we give up the fight. Um, in 2007, Deputy Defense Secretary Gordon England, which did you know that was our deputy, Deputy Defense Secretary? Gordon England. Oh. Yeah, yeah that's an, uh, is directing $556 million over five years to set up three response team called CBRNE Consequence Management Response Forces. Uh, planners assume an incident would lead to thousands of casualties, more than a million evacuees, and contamination of 3,000 square miles. So I wonder if there are. Uh, I wonder if gun confiscations are in those plans. 
Much like they were in well, they were, Katrina. They were already in Katrina, so I assume yeah. they're well, presumed. And I wonder if the uh, clergy response teams are at all a part of these. That would be an interesting thing to yeah. look up. You know, We need to get them on here. Yeah. The things they're planning for, pandemic flu, a terrorist attack, hurricane, earthquake, catastrophic chemical release, respectively. Uh, there are 25 days uh, uh, Secretary Gates gave them to propose changes and cost estimates. Uh, and let's see here. I think that's basically the gist of it. We'll be hearing more about it. Great. Um, my mom said it made the uh, the front page of the San Diego Union Tribune. Really? Yeah. Hmm. She usually she usually discounts most of what I tell her. So I think that had even her freaked out a little bit. Wow. So. Well, there you go. That's something that I'm sure we'll be reporting wow. on over the next year. Indeed. On future quake. Indeed. Got something for us? Well, I do. Um, Pentagon to detail troops to bolster domestic security. Oh, wait, we just did that one. Yeah, sorry. Great minds think alike. Didn't mean to read your story. <laughs> sorry. Great minds think alike. Um, well, do we want to hear about, we've got one. Uh, do we want to go economic or, you know, uh, moral, the destruction of the moral fiber of the world? Let's go economic. Okay. Uh, this is a letter from Dr. J. Gono who is the chairman of the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. Now, the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe is very similar in structure and nature to the Federal Reserve of the United States. And Jay Gono, uh, in all practical sense, could be uh, the Zimbabwean counterpart of Ben Bernanke. Mm -hmm. And so here's a letter he's written. Now, by the way, the Zimbabwe is the country that has like 8 trillion percent inflation. runaway inflation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, as monetary authorities, we have humbled and have taken heart in the realization that some leading central banks, including those in the USA and the UK, are, are now not just talking of, but actually implementing flexible and pragmatic central bank support programs where these are deemed necessary in their national interests. That is precisely the path that we began over four years ago in pursuit of our national interest, and we have not wavered on that critical path despite the untold misunderstanding, vilification, and demonization we have endured from across the political divide. Further, he writes, here in Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe we had our near-bank failures years ago, and we responded by providing the affected banks with the Troubled Bank Fund, or the TBF. Uh, they love acronyms mm -hmm. in, in the banking yeah. world. That's an international <coughs> thing, yeah. For which we were heavily criticized, even by some multilateral institutions who today are silent when the central banks of UK and USA are going the same way and doing the exact same thing under very similar circumstances, thereby continuing the unfortunate hypocrisy that what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. He continues, as monetary authorities, we commend those of our peers. Oops, I got it. Let me begin again. As monetary authorities, we commend those of our peers the world over who have now seen the light on the need for the adoption of flexible and practical interventions and support to key sectors of the economy when faced with unusual circumstances. Can you interpret that for us? He is saying that for years we got called as we got vilified by the international community and central banks, and now they are doing the exact same thing, and nobody's saying a darn thing about it. So I guess the, the, the bright light then is that we can hope to have the same kind of economy here shortly that Zimbabwe has now. Yes, although in the intermediate term, as Misha said, what we have to look forward to is deflation because everybody's so upside down in debt yeah. that you know the economy has to deflate. And then once all these things get critical, you know, you got to... 
reinflate it. You reinflate everything, inflate uh-huh. the money supply to pay off the debt with cheap dollars. Wow. Huh. So he's saying sort of, I told you so. or Yes, he's yeah. saying, I told I'll, you so. I'll tell you a piece of trivia. Did you know that I was going to go? You got a go haircut? No. Well, that's true. But I was going to try to be a missionary to Zimbabwe. You know, when we I did have this school. conversation, yeah. 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 But and what was interesting is Robert Mugabe, who's in power now, he had just taken power then. Yeah. And sort of burning all the churches, so yeah. they decided not to send me. Yeah, and he fought, um, uh, I believe, he, what did he fight, President or Johnson, Johnson George Washington or something. It was a very interesting name like that. It was like all the founding fathers of the United States thrown together. Oh, really? They got in a huge gun battle, and that was the guy's name. Huh. Yeah, they would wear, it was crazy, they wore... Um, like big, like clown hair hats and stuff, because I thought it was scarier. Man, I wish we had that on YouTube. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, can I do a little economic one? Lay it on us. Okay. Um, Ooh, I think I know this one. Mm, okay. I know this, one. Uh, this is from the uh, Telegraph newspaper, yeah. premier newspaper in, in England. I, I've, I've read stories by Ambrose Evan Pritchard before. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. been on our show. We should have him on our show. Yeah. Citigroup uh, says gold could rise above 2000 next year's world unravels. Uh, and let's see, it says here in the Telegraph, uh, th- this was a, uh, internal, uh, client note from the U.S. Bank Citigroup that evidently was smuggled out, uh, <coughs> from, um, uh, from, uh, Citigroup. Somehow it got to the newspaper, oh. uh, their internal analysis at Citigroup. It says the bank said that the damage called by the financial excesses of the last quarter century was forcing the world's authorities to take step that had never been tried before. Mm-hmm. This gamble was likely to end in one of two extreme ways, with either a resurgence of inflation or a downward spiral into depression, civil disorder, and possibly wars. Both outcomes will cause a rush in gold. This well, is what Citigroup is saying internally, they think. Well, yeah, uh, there's a bunch I want to comment on, but go ahead. Okay, they are throwing the kitchen sink at this, Tom Fitzpatrick, the bank's chief technical strategist, said. Mm. The world is not going back to normal after the magnitude of what they've done. When the dust settles, this will either work, and the money they have pushed into the system will feed uh, through into an inflation shock. Or it will not, because too much damage has already been done, and we will see continued financial deterioration, causing further economic deterioration with the risk of a feedback loop. We don't think this is uh, the more likely outcome, but as each week's months passes, there's a growing danger of vicious cycle as confidence erodes, he said. This will lead to political instability. We are already seeing countries on the periphery of Europe under severe stress. Some leaders are now at record levels of unpopularity. There is risk of domestic unrest, starting with strikes because people are feeling disenfranchised. Yes, just like uh, Ecuador, which we read on here a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They said, we're not paying our That's bond. Right. That's right. heck right. with you guys. Uh, what happens if there's a meltdown in a country like Pakistan, which is a nuclear power? People react when they have their backs to the wall. We're already seeing doubts emerge about the sovereign debts of developed AAA-rated countries. Yeah, like Iceland. Which which is not something you can ignore, he said. Gold traders are paying close attention to reports from Beijing that China is thinking of boosting its gold reserves from 600 tons to nearly 4,000 tons to diversify away from paper currencies. If true, this is a very material change. Hmm. Mr. Fitzpatrick said Britain had made a mistake selling off half its gold at the bottom of the market between 1999 and 2002. People have started to question the value of government debt, he said. Citigroup said the blast-off was likely to occur within two years and possibly as soon as 2009. Gold was trading yesterday at $812 an ounce. 
It is well off its all-time peak of $1,030 in February, but has held up much better than other commodities over the last few months, mm-hmm. reverting to its historical role as a safe haven of value and de facto currency. Hmm. Interesting. I was from the Telegraph. Yeah. That was not from a gold-selling organization. No, no, that was from the Telegraph. Well, you know, the whole thing about about gold is when you bet gold, what you're what you're doing, unless you have unless you have a way to get it without paying a large premium, which is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you bet gold, what you're betting essentially is you're saying collapse, <laughs> havoc. Yeah, you're yeah. saying you're not because the only thing, you know, when you buy government debt, you're not paying that premium, and it's mm-hmm. a little bit more, a little bit more stable, a uh, uh, little bit more, um, you know, what's the word? It the the you know what you're getting, yeah. you know, as far yeah. as yield with yeah. gold, it could go up, could go down. Yeah. You don't know what's going. It's a little on. hard to plan. It's basically yeah. emergency mode stuff. Yes. Hey, we need to sneak in, uh, brother Dave Cox with All the right. Cox Chronicle. Lay it so, on us. Uh, and might get a quick word from you. He's got an interesting word about churches and the mm-hmm. 501c3 mm-hmm. status. So, with no further ado, here's our third uh, Cox Chronicles with brother Dave Cox. So, Dave, uh, come tell us what you got to say. Over the course of several decades, the United States has seen an increased role of state involvement into nearly all aspects of our lives, from the education of our children to financial dealings and even free speech. While many Christians don't see an effect in their day-to-day lives, these intrusions may well come to the very place in which we worship. Most churches have filed as tax-free organizations under Section 501c3, And while most would agree that the tithes of Christians should not be taxed, we should also look at the consequences such compacts have on the church itself. Without getting too detailed, a concern of having status under 501c3 is the possible limits on free speech. Part of the code reads this way, No substantial part of the activities of which is carrying on propaganda or otherwise attempting to influence legislation. The state decides what exactly propaganda is and if it is contrary to what is the public's best interest. In the case of Bob Jones University versus the United States, the court stated that an exempt organization must demonstrably serve and be in harmony with the public interest and with the common community conscience and must not act in a manner affirmatively at odds with the declared position of the whole government. 501c3 churches must look at whether the statements made to the congregation are at odds with what is in the public interest and the position of the government. Could issues such as abortion, homosexuality, and other issues that are seemingly in conflict with what the Bible states, yet are protected by the state, be used as leverage against the church and their 501c3 status? Maybe it's not happening now, but these issues could become a point of contention. Ironically, churches don't need to file for 501c3 status. Churches are automatically exempt from taxation under Section 508c1a. There are many good churches that have 501c3 status, and I do not advocate leaving your church over this issue, but to ponder the significance of what effect this may have on the preaching of the gospel message. A corporate entity has a state as its master. The church has God as theirs. Okay. So, he uh, warned us a little bit about some yeah. dangers apparent in getting too close to the government. Well, and I think that's a thing that we should be considered considerate of anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of the separation of church and state, as I'm aware of it, and, you know, there I'm sure there are better historians that will correct me if I'm wrong, but originally the idea was to keep the state out of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, also in Europe, they had state churches where yeah. the state could collect money on behalf of one church. Yeah, and the idea was to keep the state completely unencumbered from the church, uh, although the, the idea that the church still could influence the state was right. was still held in, held in regard. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and now we're seeing exactly that problem. Mm-hmm. The state is usurping its power and, yeah. you know, here we go. We're going to see a bulls out of church, but we got to go here. First, we need to bring Merv in. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got like 10 seconds or so. All right, let's go. Okay, thank you. I enjoyed this very much, Brother Tom. Word up. Thanks for the word of prayer. Yeah. Any other words? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, keep in touch with us via email. Until Monday, we hope your future is very bright. We've got a, a extra, extra good guest on Monday, so you'll love it. Until then, we hope your future is bright. Have a good day. Auf Wiedersehen. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Sweeping it like a fresh new breeze Let it be old